text for this morning's sermon is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth, sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we look to your word at an infathomable, infathomable uh, account of how you broke into this world, became a man, Father, I pray that you would give us the wonder that children have at your plan and your love and your kindness and the hope that we can get from this good news, this foretold birth that uh, Mary received. God, I pray that you would instruct our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Preaching... This text is heavy. (laughs) I would say it's not fun uh, just because it's... How do you ever do justice to the most unbelievable truth that uh, Scripture can give us? God's plan to save the world, to save sinners... How God did it is unbelievable. And I don't know what you think when you think of the birth narrative and you think of this foretold birth in these first two chapters of Luke, but I am amazed at how practical this is. If you felt any stress this week watching the news reading about the world, you need to listen this morning. If you felt any guilt 
because of recognized sin in your life, you need to listen uh, this morning. This birth of Christ, we cannot begin right here. This isn't where it comes onto the scene. Let me take you quickly, just a flyover of what God has already said about this moment when Christ would be born, when, when Christ would break into the world. Uh, Jesus himself, while he was on the earth, said this about the Old Testament and, and about the scriptures. In Luke 24, 25, uh, he said to them, O foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then in Luke 24, 44, a few verses later, Then he said to them, These are my words that I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The whole Old Testament, everything that's been written in Scripture, is heading straight for Jesus Christ. In our text, we're going to see this message burst forth The time is fulfilled. The time has come. But everything that's been written was written pointing to Christ. In John 5.39, Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about Me. The Scriptures cannot give eternal life. Jesus Christ can. The Scriptures point us to Christ. And so when we go read our Bibles, we start in Genesis. Right when man fell. I don't know how many times I bring this up in my preaching, but this is where it all begins. This is where it always begins. Right after man has sinned in Genesis 3.15, we hear this. I will put enmity, this is God speaking to the serpent, between you and the woman, between your offspring or your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. At the darkest moment of human history, God speaks to the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve and said, that woman's seed will crush your head. Hope bursts forth onto the scene. Where is Adam? Where is Adam at in this promise? The man has the seed. The woman doesn't. But somehow, the woman's seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. God, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, comes upon woman and brings forth a man that will fulfill all the promises 
of the Bible. Even the virgin birth is alluded to right away in Genesis 3. And so as mankind holds on to this hope that from the seed of the woman right away in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, Eve finally gives birth. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. You can see Eve thinking, here it is. Things are going to change right now. But what Eve doesn't seem to understand is that that one is going to come far down the line. Because right after that, we see Cain kill his brother Abel. And then at the end of Genesis 4.25, we start to get good news again. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring, another seed, instead of Abel, for Cain has killed him. Oh, it seems like hope's on the scene again through childbirth. And then in Genesis 5, 28 and 29, after you have this account of all these men who lived and died, then we get to this one that's a little different. Genesis 5, 28, then Lamech, when he had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Well, Noah looks like he's the one. He's gonna, it seems like he's gonna reverse the curse on the land. And as we read on, we read about Abraham, who's promised seed, and then Isaac being his son through the line which God is going to choose to bring about the Redeemer, and then Jacob and Judah and David. And we're waiting for this time. Three hundred and Over 350 prophecies are fulfilled in Christ's life. Christ does not... God has not spoken for the first time through Gabriel about this son. That's what we must know before we start the story. But a long time has passed. And at this point in time, in this account, is when God breaks forth under the scene. So let's look at it. Look at verse 26. Uh, the title of the sermon is Let It Be. Let Jesus be. Let Him finally be here. Let God's fulfillment be. And so point one in your notes, let it be when God surprises you or when uh, He works differently than you would expect. When He does things the way you wouldn't. In verse 26 it says, in the sixth month that angel Gabriel was sent from God, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Here's the shocker. All of world history 
has been waiting for this moment, has been looking forward to this moment, to this time in the fullness of time. In Galatians 4.4, 4, uh, Paul says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is the peak of human history. You know, I was just thinking when... Um, President Trump got sworn in at his inauguration. All we heard for weeks is, this is going to be great. This, this party is going to be great. This is going to be the beginning. Something big's happening, a change in president, a change in policy. There's going to be hope. It's going to be great. Well, when God gets to this moment, He decides the time to be six months after Elizabeth conceived John. That's what, that's what, it, what it means when he says the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is connected to the text uh, right before. And the angel Gabriel, who... There's two main angels the Bible talks about that seem extra special. There's Michael. When God's going to do His powerful work of battle, He works through Michael. And when God wants to bring about special news through the prophet Daniel, when he wrote about the 70 weeks, the unfolding of history, God sent Gabriel to Daniel to understand and, and, and speak forth that prophecy in Daniel 8 and 9. And it was Gabriel that showed up to Zechariah to tell him that even in his old age, his wife, Elizabeth, was going to give birth to the forerunner of uh, the Messiah. And so Gabriel is on the scene. And where is he? If you're going to do this, where are you going to do it? I love how the text says it. To a city, there, there is no Greek word for like small village. It's just polis. To a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The reason why we had to say, or Luke had to say, of Galilee named Nazareth is because nobody knows about Nazareth. Let me read off some South Dakota cities. Leola, Rossholt, Harriet, Tabor, Gayville, Hurley, Murdo, Nazareth. You know what they all have in common? They all have a population of about 400 people. And when God comes to announce this, to do this great work, he shows up in this city, small village, really small town, really, called Nazareth. It's surprising. This isn't the way you and I would do it. This isn't the way we would break forth the most important news. This definitely isn't the way America would do it. We would have fireworks. We would have parades. We'd be doing all sorts of stuff. But God sent Gabriel, Gabriel to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin 
betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's a clue. He's got royal blood flowing through this uh, unknown guy living in Nazareth. And the virgin's name was Mary. So here's what we know. God, in the sixth month, sent Gabriel to this small town, Nazareth, to Mary, who's betrothed to Joseph. Now here's what we know about betrothals and the way marriage worked back in Jesus' day. Almost all Jewish girls would be betrothed to their husband at the age of 12 or 13. And maximum 15, but that would be unusual actually. It'd be 12 or 13, and there would be about a year-long betrothal before they'd get married, but the betrothal was legally binding. The uh, groom would pay the father of the bride the price for her. There'd be a legal price paid for her because he's gaining a another family member, and that father's losing one. And so you have this typical betrothal, this young girl, 12 or 13 years old most likely, betrothed to Joseph. Say, let it be when God surprises you with His timing, with His messengers, with His location of how he decides to work with the people with which he works through with the circumstances this is surprising and yet this is what god does the reason why i say let it be is because this was the heart of this young girl if god is doing something then let it be how much of our lives do we spend saying, no, may it not be. May it never be. It can't be. And then we look to all sorts of things like political leaders to give us hope in all sorts of different places. But look at point two. Say, let it be when God's grace is given to you. Verse 28, I love this. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Uh, in the old King James, it says, Hail, old favored ones. Now that sounds fancy, but you want, you want to know what that means? Hello. Imagine Mary. I love how John MacArthur put this. He, <laughs> he said, Mary's sitting there. We don't know exactly where she is. But she could be just doing what a normal 12-year-old's doing, which is taking care of the home or, or getting a meal ready or something. Seems like she's all alone, all by herself. Hello. you imagine? <laughs> oh, favored one. What does this mean? The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. What does it mean, O favored one? The word favored is the word grace. Greetings to the one who's received grace. That's what it means. It has nothing to do, we don't know anything about Mary's integrity. I mean, we get to see her speaking out of grace, but the point of this text is not, it's not even as much as we heard from uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth in, in verse 6. Here's what we're told. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Here's what we know about Mary. Her name was Mary, and she was betrothed to Joseph, who was of the house of David. That's all we know. And the angel shows up and says, God is with you and has given you grace. Now think, think with me for a minute. Who needs grace. Sinners need grace. Sinners need grace. If I were to come up to you and say, you know what, I'm going to give you grace, you're going to say, what did I do wrong? The angel shows up and says, God has given you grace. God has favored you. Mary is not sinless. Uh, some of you might think I pick on the Catholic Church. I honestly don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to preach against the Catholic Church when I get up here. But when you preach through Galatians, in our day and age, the most popular faith that is putting forth a works righteousness is Rome. And then we start in Luke. Well, we get to get past that now, right? What do we know about Mary? All we know about Mary is what Scripture says about Mary. And nowhere in Scripture do we get any evidence. In fact, this greeting tells us she is not sinless. Mary has never heard anybody's prayers. Prayers go to God. That's who prayers go to. The, the way uh, MacArthur put it is, she's one of us. She's a 12-year-old girl who's born of Adam, who's fallen, who needs grace from God. That's who Mary is. In fact, here's what we can find out about Mary. In Mark 3.20, we read this. And this is after Jesus' ministry has just begun. Then He went home to His hometown and a crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when His family heard it, they went out to seize Him for they were saying, He is out of His mind. Jesus' family goes after him and says, go get him, stop him, he's going crazy, he's out of his mind. 
And then right after this text, the Jewish leaders say he has a demon. And then following in verse 31, here's what we read. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. He said to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mothers and brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Mary's like you and I. A lot of times, just like we do, we sin and we need grace. And if we're just to read on in Luke one forty six, when Mary has her beautiful song, here's what she says, this prophetic song. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Let me ask a question. Who needs a Savior? Sinners. Mary is a 12 or 13 year old girl whom God chose in a town that nobody knows about that's not on the way to anywhere. That's who Mary is according to the Scripture. Say, let it be when God grace is given to you. This is all we can say as sinners. We can't say, well, let me have another try. Let me get it better. You know, I think when she's troubled, what kind of greeting is this? She knows who she is. Why would God be choosing me? If God chose you, you'd be the same way. You know why? Because you know your sin. Why would God ever use you? Why would God ever use Mary? Because God is gracious, and that's who He uses. Look at point three. Say, let it be when God fulfills all of His promises in His Son. Here's what Gabriel says to her. And this is, I mean, literally, we could spend five weeks on these three verses, and we're not going to be able to do that. Jesus' whole life and ministry summed up in these three verses. And we read it just as though you probably listened to Scott read it and didn't think much of it. But here's what he says, And behold, you will... Now, I want to put emphasis on will. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. Now, this is popular in Scripture. You'll conceive, you'll bear, and you'll call His name. When God is going to work through somebody, this is the formula that uh, we continue to see. And it's not maybe, it's will. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. He will be great, and He will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now God is speaking authoritatively if you haven't recognized that. 
God has chosen Mary by mere gr- the grace of God, His gracious choice, and He's telling her what will be. And uh, if you numbered these, there, there, there's five, maybe six, depending on how you break them up, things that are promised. You'll conceive, bear, and call His name Jesus. You'll conceive, bear a son, and you should call His name Jesus. In Matthew one twenty one, she'll bear a son, you shall call His name Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. The word, the name Jesus, means literally Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. Your son is God is salvation. That's His name. How does God save sinners? Jesus Christ becomes a man. He dies on a cross. In the name Jesus, the cross is in focus. We know that's how God saves. His death. And then, we see He will be great. What does this mean? I think this speaks not of His death, but of His life. Uh, The word great is difficult in the English language because these fries are great. You know, that restaurant's great. That field is great. Jesus will be great. (laughs) It doesn't really work in our language. The point is, is He will show forth God's glory. Only God in the truest sense is great. Only God can be said of being great in that sense where His glory is, is shines forth. Uh, and this is a ramp up from uh, John the Baptist because in verse 15, uh, we read this about John the Baptist when uh, Gabriel came to Zechariah. For he'll be great before the Lord. It's qualified. It's in the sense where John the Baptist will be great in God's eyes. This is his prophet, the forerunner. But of Jesus, it says he's just great. He's going to go on to say he's the Son of God. That's a little different than uh, just merely a prophet. He will be called Son of the Most High God. Now, which God's the highest? The Most High. There is only one God, and He is the Son of the Most High God. Now, I don't know what you think of when you think of Son of of God, but the Son is the essence of His Father. The same essence, and this is what we read about Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus being the Son of God means Jesus is God. God is broke forth into this world. In John 14.8, Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. One of Jesus' disciples says, just show us the Father and it will all be over. We'll just believe in You. Just show us. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? 
Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? He's the exact picture of the Father. He's the Son of God. And then in John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to, going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. Everyone understood what Jesus was saying. He's saying, I am God. The fact that he accepts the title Son of God is that he is God. In Hebrews 1.3, we read this, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Just in case you're wondering, only God can uphold the universe by a word. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's what he will be called, uh, Gabriel says. And then we read this. And, and the Lord God will give to him a throne of his, or the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, a lot of us think of Jesus' life, a lot of us think of Jesus' death, a lot of us think of Jesus' resurrection, but we fail to remember that the promise was not just all so self-centered around us, because that's where we want to stop. Oh, you send me a Savior? God becomes flesh. He dies for me. He raises so I can know my body will be raised one day. And I know that what He said was true. End of the story. No, that's not the end of the story according to the Scripture. Because God is always central. And God speaks of this son as a king and a ruler and one who is on his throne. We need to remember that God sent Jesus to rule and to reign and to be from the line of David and of be the king of Israel from Jacob's line, which runs all the way back through Abraham. Jesus, according to Gabriel, is going to be given to, will give to, God will give to him a throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We have this prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I'll raise up your offspring after you, your seed after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And then uh, we've already seen uh, this being alluded to, uh, Joseph being from David's house. We know that he's from that line. In Psalm 110, verses 1 and 2, here's what we read. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Who's the Lord's Lord? David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Who's David's Lord? Who's 
the Lord is speaking of. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make my enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. We have this promise of this ruling king. And then in verse 16 of 2 Samuel 7, here's what he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure and forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us the child is born, to us the son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. That's interesting. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the line of David. One is going to rule. One of David's sons is going to be greater than he. One of Abraham's children is going to bring the light to the Gentiles. And he's going to rule. He's going to bring the kingdom in. Jesus Christ ascends to the throne and he'll bring a kingdom. If you think we're living in the thousand-year kingdom right now, I bet you're greatly disappointed. Some people think we are. I don't think we are. It doesn't seem like Satan's bound up and it doesn't seem like Christ's kingdom's reigning. You know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for Christ to come down here on this earth and to reign as our king for a thousand years. And then I'm waiting for him to undo this creation and create a new heavens and a new earth where he'll be king forever and ever. There will be no end to his kingdom. I told you the birth announcement of Christ you need if you've been a little stressed with the news. You need to remember that God has acted in history. As surely the Son of God came, lived a perfect life, never sinned, died on the cross in fulfillment with so many different prophecies, rose from the dead. He's at the right hand of God and He is in control. Say, let it be when God fulfills all of His promises in His Son. Here's the thing. God will never, ever, 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 ever be anything for you except through Jesus Christ. All of His promises find their yes and amen in Christ. If you're a sinner and you have no hope and you know you're going to face God, praise God Jesus showed up. Praise God Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Praise God that as surely as all these uh, prophecies have been fulfilled, even though life's hard now and we're struggling, all these Promises that are yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled in Christ. Fifth, say, let it be when God's promises are too big for comprehension. <laughs> Mary, so now let's just admit those last three verses, God said a lot to a 12 year old girl. 
13-year-old girl. <laughs> By the way, you're a virgin. You're going to give birth. He's going to be the Savior of the world. He's going to be great. He's, he's going to shine forth my glory. Um, he's going to be the Son of God, by the way. He's going to rule the worlds forever. He's going to destroy Satan, throw him in the lake of fire. He's going to do all that. That's a lot to take in. This is what is at stake in what Gabriel's just told a 12 or 13-year-old girl. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, you remember when Zechariah got in trouble when he questioned Gabriel, who Gabriel says, I stand at the right hand of God. <laughs> How dare you question this when an angel shows up in front of you? There's two ways to ask this question. This way, how can, <laughs> how will this be? That's wicked. And that's punishable. Or you can say, oh, how, how will this be? That's how it seems she asks this question because there is no rebuke. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy the Son of God. Now, I can't help you any more than you can help yourself reading that. Mary, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and you're going to give birth to God. That's, what's, that's how it's going to be. He will be called the Holy Son of God. In Matthew 27.54, you have a Gentile centurion whose job is to make sure Jesus dies on that cross, to make sure the crucifixion happens. Here's what we read. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what had taken place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. It's what a non-Jew who's crucifying Jesus says about Jesus Christ when He was there at the cross. So how do you respond to all this? How would you respond to all this? These are big things. I might have more than one question. She had one question. Let's let Mary teach us how to respond to this. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Isn't that one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen? What that is, that's another way to say, believe God. It's another way to say, I have faith. Let it be as you have spoken. Let it be to me. <laughs> Who is she? I don't know. Angel shows up and says, grace is on me. 
All these wonderful things are going to happen. Well, okay. I'm the servant of God. Let it be. You do what you do, God. I'll be the servant. I'll trust you. I don't have all the answers. 28 years later, she thinks her son's crazy for a while. Looks like he's going to get himself killed. But here's a woman who is a young child and says, that's a contradiction of terms. (laughs) It's a young woman, I should say, who says, let it be according to your word. Here's my question for you. You're not Mary. God never chose you to give birth to the Son of God. There could only be one person whom God would choose. God chose whom He chose. And it had to be by grace. He couldn't look for the good one to pick her. There was no good ones to pick from. But let me ask you the question. Is God sovereign over your life as God was sovereign over Mary's life? Is God less sovereign over your life than He was over her life? Has God spoken less words to you than He's spoken to Mary? I don't know. He's spoken a lot of words. And there's two options when God speaks to us. There's, in one sense, let it be. According to your word, according to your plan, I trust you even though I don't get this. This is beyond what I can comprehend. Or there's, I'm upset and I'm rebelling. And I do not want to let it be. I want to fight it. My challenge to you and my challenge to myself is that I would learn from a 12, 13-year-old girl, I would learn about faith. Jesus said this in Luke 18. Now they were bringing infants to Him that He might touch them. When His disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to Him saying, Let the children come to Me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. How does a child receive the kingdom of God? How does a child receive anything? A child can't do anything for himself. Has to rely on the parent. An infant can't do anything. They just have to trust. And Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you've got to realize you're totally helpless. And you need God to save you. That's how a person enters the kingdom of God. You want to know the most impossible thing? A virgin birth might be amazing to you. It was so amazing that God had to prophesy it 750 years in advance so that people... I mean, He's just validating His work. You want to know what's so hard for me to believe? The impossibility of this being true? Listen to Jude 24-25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, 
To the God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. The most impossible thing is tell me this. Sam, Jesus Christ is going to take you to that throne before the throne of the holy God of the universe. And He's going to keep you from stumbling as you enter into that great light and into that throne room. And you're going to be able to stand blameless before God. You tell me that's not hard to believe. I know me. And you know you. But God in His love sends Jesus so that He can present you blameless before His Father. Even so that you can live the rest of your days on this earth in a fallen world knowing that you don't have to fear judgment, but that you're going to stand and be a part of the people of God in God's family because Jesus Christ is a Savior and He's a King and He'll destroy all rule and we will live only for a short time where the devil's the prince of the power of the air that's presently at work. We'll only live like this for a while. One day, only justice will reign. God won't have an enemy anymore. They'll all be destroyed. You want to know where my where I need to be? Less in the news and more in that book. And remember who God is. Remember who I am in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for sending us Christ. Uh, words just seem to fail to try to give enough credence to the event we just read about. Father, I pray that we would realize that our only hope is in You. Father, I pray that You would kill the skepticism, the doubt in our heart, but that we would look to Your Word and say, okay, if You said it, it's going to be, and I'm going to trust You. Father, I pray all of us would cling to You as our only hope. In Jesus' name, amen.